following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. All right. Now, I know some of you will be very much surprised by this because of my high level of, of creative awareness, okay? But um, I only took art one year in high school. I know that's hard to believe. Uh, I took art my senior year. My senior year, um, I took that class, by the way, with John Whitworth. <laughs> he was a freshman my senior year, and he took it very seriously. Very seriously, I can tell you that right now. Let me tell you a little bit about my art portfolio. Um, I think my mom and dad were at the first service, and I think my mom, this will tell you the love of a mother. I think she still has that art portfolio, okay? And I told her, keep a hold of it because it's going to be valuable one day. Very, very valuable. All right, let me tell you a little bit about a few things from this. I, I can remember, uh, yes, I can remember that long ago. And, and I remember one particular project looked something like this. It's, it's you, took this, you took this face out of a magazine, okay? You cut it in half, like right down, like right down between the eyes, down the nose, okay? And you glued half of it on the paper, and you drew the other half, okay? And they were supposed to look somewhat alike, Mine looked like a Picasso painting, all right? You got this side that looked normal, this side that looked like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, all right? And then another one that I remember was, was this beautiful panorama of Colorado, this, this highland meadow with mountain peaks in the background, and I painted it, baby. I painted that sucker. I tell you this, if, if that's what Colorado looked like, nobody would go. Okay, including me this coming summer. So now there was one thing that actually of my whole art career that looked pretty good. It was a picture of a white-tailed buck. All right, and looking at that, it's actually sets in my um, my gallery. Okay, that's made up of one piece. My brother-in-law preaches at Westside Christian Church, and I gave this to him, and it sets in his office. He still has it so many years later because it looks good. And you'd think, man, whoever did that knows what they're doing. Well, you didn't know what happened to make that happen. And basically, you took another picture out of a magazine, put it on this special projector, and traced out the lines. And then in, with, with black paint, you shadowed parts of it. You know, that is the only thing in nine months of art that was presentable and any third grader could do it better than I did it. All right. And that pretty much encompasses my art career. But I'm going to tell you something that all of us probably in this room know that there is an art to drawing lines. And I would be willing to bet that everybody in this room is a line drawer. And the lines I'm talking about, it's not the art of drawing lines on paper, but the art of drawing the lines in the sand. You know what I'm talking about here? It's it's those lines that you draw with your toe, and you say, I'm not going to cross that one. Um, When we left Daniel chapter 2, we left Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar, and I called him King Nebuchadnezzar last week, and I had a few people say it's Nebuchadnezzar, so for you, I will say Nebuchadnezzar this week, okay? All right, so King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, When we left him and and Daniel in chapter 2, we left him on pretty good terms. I mean, Daniel had just 
not only told the king what his dream was, he translated it, and the king promoted him to the highest level in the entire empire. He was second only to King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And then not only that, he took Daniel's three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, at Daniel's request and placed them in places of higher authority as well. And King Nebuchadnezzar was even in a place at the end of that chapter of honoring God. Now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like he became, you know, a follower of God or became a proselyte, you know, which is a Gentile who falls along with Jewish belief. He just merely honored God. And I can tell you that going into chapter 3, it makes me feel like... Now, we, we aren't told this. First chapter 1, chapter 2, we get a little bit of time frame. We don't get any time frame from the end of chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 3. But it makes me think that a pretty significant amount of time has passed because King Nebuchadnezzar is way over here at this point. All right? Um, There's lots of of detail in this chapter, and we're not going to be able to cover all of it. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to divide the chapter into several sections. And there's sections that might even already be divided up in a way in in your Bible, and that might help you out quite a bit. Okay, we, we can't read all of it, we don't have time, so I'm going to summarize, and then we're going to read some parts of it as we wrap up. But if we were to divide this up, and you divide it up, it's chapter 3 in the first seven verses, verse 1 through 7, what you will see is that King Nebuchadnezzar made this image, this image of gold. We get lots of detail about this image. It was about 90 feet tall, it was about... 10 feet wide and in depth. So, I mean, we're talking about some... I mean, what came to mind for me was like a totem pole or something. Something relatively skinny that stuck up there quite a ways. Um, It was gold. Now, it more than likely wasn't solid gold. It was probably gold-plated. And he built this for a purpose. He set it in the plain of Dura. and, And he said, when you see this statue and you hear... This music you bow. And the people he's talking to is he invited, and I use the quotations very much so here. He invited the the officials of his government because it wasn't really an invitation. It was a command. When the king invites you, you you don't say no, (laughs) okay, unless you want to lose your head. All right, so he invited his government officials to be there, and he said when the music plays, and he gives a long list of the musical instruments, When it plays, it will be loud, you will know it, and you will bow and worship this image before you. And if you do not do this, there's even punishment, and that punishment was capital. You will die. You will be thrown into a furnace. Most likely, it was probably the very furnace that was used to smelter the metal and the gold to make the statue. And it's interesting because when you look at these first seven verses, you see a tremendous amount of detail. You see a tremendous amount of repetition, all right? Um, The author, who's Daniel, he's building, he does a good job. He's the narrator, the author of this, and he's building the tension quite well of what is going to take place. And you might ask yourself, why, why in the world did King Nebuchadnezzar do this anyway? I mean, what was the point? What was the point of it? Was the statue of him? Probably not. I mean, the, the kings, the emperors of, of the Babylonian, the Persian empires, they, they weren't like the, the pharaohs of Egypt. They did not claim divinity. They didn't claim that they were deity, like they were gods. Okay, so he probably wasn't saying, worship this image of me. 
So why, why was he doing this? More than likely, he was probably trying to solidify his, his governmental base, is what this amounts to. Because in that day, in that time, rebellion, we'll talk about this some more in a little bit, rebellion was always a possibility. And he's trying to solidify, to bring together his support. The majority of the people he's asking to do this would have absolutely no problem with it. This is a polytheistic culture. In other words, they worship many gods. And to bow down before some other idol, some other image, no big deal. They would do it with no problem. But here's the thing. For a faithful Jew, this was impossible. It violate those first two things we call the Ten Commandments. God is one, and you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one, second commandment. You shall worship no idols. And by a Jew doing this, they would be violating the very first two commandments. So there's an issue here for some of these wise men, more specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you look to verses 8 through 12, you will see that an accusation is brought against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Apparently, for a period of time, they were getting away with not bowing down and worshiping this image. Now, you've got to remember, there's a lot of people doing this. I could almost imagine King Nebuchadnezzar observing all of this in this, this somewhat sea of humanity before him. He's not going to notice some who do not bow and worship. But there are others who notice Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing. And these more than likely were jealous fellow wise men. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rose to power very, very quickly. They, they served the king faithfully. They did good at their work. And, and that, that sometimes breeds jealousy. And these other Chaldeans are called, we talked about this last week, they are, they are the high up of the astrologers. They go to the king and they say, Oh, great and wise king, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to bow before your statue. They dishonor you. If you look at what they're saying there in those verses, they make sure to paint as incriminating a picture as possible of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And predictably, King Nebuchadnezzar is not happy. But he will give Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego an opportunity to give an explanation. Now I know where your mind's going because mine goes there too in Daniel chapter 3. And the question is this, where's Daniel? I mean, Daniel is like all over every chapter in this book except for chapter 3. And we're like, what what what's going on? Daniel's the one right now. Where, where's he at? Now keep in mind Daniel was put in a completely different place of authority than everyone else. You get the end of chapter 2, he was placed in authority over everyone else besides King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was also, he entered into the king's court. And maybe perhaps Daniel was in a position high enough that he was not put into a place of having to make this choice of whether or not to bow down. Now we don't know that with certainty. To be honest with you, we cannot say with certainty where Daniel was. He just wasn't there. Now he's going to show back up. Next week, okay? All right, so let's leave that behind for a little bit. We've got, we've got an accusation made against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In verses 13 through 18, we see them brought before the king, okay? 
Now, my question that has to be, and I know what might be in the back of your mind as well, is why is the king so upset about this? Is he so concerned about his name and his honor that these men not worshiping this statue would, would be something that would violate, he would see it as a violation of his honor? Is this an insecure guy? Guys, understand something. To be an emperor, to be a king of an empire like this, I think insecurity was a part of the job description, Okay. Because I've already said there's always a rebellion ready and waiting to happen. There's always a murderer in the wings. Someone ready to take the king's life and take his power. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying defending King Nebuchadnezzar here. But just understand that he was insecure for a reason. And he, this is the definition of turbulent times, okay? And he has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego above, in front of him. And he says, so I hear you guys won't worship my statue. The statue I said, you are not worshiping it. Okay, here, here you go. You're gonna, I'm going to give you an opportunity to worship it. But let, you understand something. If you don't worship it, I'm going to throw you in that furnace. And there is not a God alive who can save you out of my hands. And then he says that in verse 15. And it makes me, it brings to mind the second psalm. It's a psalm of David, actually, writing about the scheming and the planning of his enemies. And in that, David writes of God in heaven laughing at the schemes of men. And I'm sure that God in heaven, because what David wrote was by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I am assuming, as Nebuchadnezzar is saying these words, there's not a God alive that can save you from me. He's probably kind of chuckling. Like, uh, you got no idea, King Nebu. Like, I kind of like that, King Nebu, because Nebuchadnezzar takes a long time to say. Okay, so I say that, just use it interchangeably. All right. So, but King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he respects Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego enough that he gives them a personal opportunity to conform. All right, he's got him in front of him. He says, strike up the band. And these poor players of the cymbals, the lyres, the flutes, there's like, they've got to be so tired of playing by now. It's just like, okay, let's play it again, Sam. All right, so they play it again. Before they play it, though, our heroes here have something to say. And this is worth reading. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not give, need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. These men were not cowards. And then we jump into verses 19 through 27, and we see an incredibly, we see God at work, and we see these men miraculously delivered. You know, we talked about this two months ago, almost to the day. Guys, as, as we were looking towards Christmas, and, and actually it was, it was a few weeks before that, and we, we were looking at the, the story of the shepherds and how they were on that, in that field watching over the sheep, and the glory of the Lord showed up with an angel, and then the whole, the whole army of God showed up before 
those men. And, 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 and you wonder about those men trying to explain that to somebody. You know, have you ever been there where you're trying hard to explain something that you have seen to someone? And after a while, you just give up. You realize you can't do it justice. You just can't. The words are failing you. And you're just like, you just had to be there. You just had to be there. This is one of those moments I would have loved to be there, okay? And see God's power at work. But before we get to the amazing, we have to see the ugly, okay? So look at verse 19. King Nebu is not happy, all right? The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. And his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Anybody ever seen this face before? Have you ever had somebody alter their face towards you? Can you think of your childhood, maybe once or twice, where maybe mom or dad had an altered face towards you, and you're like, that's not mom. (laughs) This is going to (laughs) hurt. That's usually the two things that come into your mind. That's not mom. This is going to hurt. All right? Nebuchadnezzar, now I'm not saying this about mom. Boy, I couldn't say this in first service. My mom was here. I'm not saying mom's out of control, okay? All right? So I won't say. But King Nebu here, he's out of control. He's out of control so much, though, that he takes a fiery furnace and tells him, it's not hot enough. You heat it up seven times greater. And this being out of control resulted in the death of some of his most valiant, loyal soldiers. That's the sadness of, part of the sadness of this chaotic situation. That's the ugly. Now let's get to the amazing. And this is worthy of being read. We're going to read Daniel chapter 3 verses 20 through 30. It says this, he, King Nebuchadnezzar, commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then those men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes and were cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Oh, certainly, king. He said, Look. I see four men loose and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like... A son of the gods. Then King Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's high officials gathered around and saw the regard saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command. 
and yielded up their bodies so as not to worship so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god therefore i make a decree that any people nation or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of shadrach meshach and abednego shall be torn limb from limb their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there's no other god who's able to deliver in this way then the king caused shadrach meshach and abednego to prosper in the province of babylon Once again, we wrap up a chapter and we end up the same place that we ended up last time. King Nebuchadnezzar honoring the God of Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the question that I have to ask is, okay, he's honoring God once again. Is he going to learn the lesson? Just a little hint. Chapter 4, no. (laughs) Some people have to learn things the hard way, and I know there's nobody in this room like that. But old King Nebu, he was one of them. Amazing, incredible Bible story. And do not let the last word of what I just said, don't misunderstand. Bible story, yes, it's a story, but yes, it happened. It's an account, it is history. And this took place. Took place 2,500 years ago. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Preacher, what in the world does that have to do with me? I don't see a fiery furnace around here anywhere. Now, there's a few furnaces going, but they are made for people. I don't have anybody propping me up in front of any statue in downtown saying, when you hear... The music playing, fall down and worship. So what are you telling me, preacher, we can learn from these men? And I think there are a few things we can. Now, I was told by someone that I should do a little bit better job of copying and pasting. I'm sorry. That takes effort, okay? Takes more effort to type it out. I would rather just put initials. So... When you look at these notes as we get practical here, S-M-A stands for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay? What do we learn from S-M-A? The first thing we learned from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is this. They served King Nebuchadnezzar faithfully. They did. There's a reason why King Nebuchadnezzar brought them in front of him and gave them the opportunity, as we talked about, to conform to recount the stance that they've taken because they are valuable to him. These men have served King Nebuchadnezzar faithfully even when they have been asked to do things and study things and live amongst things that makes them quite uncomfortable. They are among the wise men. They studied with the Chaldeans. They studied the stars. We talked about last week. They studied the sheep livers, all right? They learned about the gods of the Babylonians They learned all of these things, and I bet that they would have very much liked to say, no, I don't want to mess with that. But in honoring the king, they did anyway. And they served the king faithfully and loyally. And we cannot overlook that. JB was dancing all around that when he preached two weeks ago. These men were in a dark place. And yet they served 
a king who made him uncomfortable, I'm sure. What else can we learn from these guys? The time came for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even though they served the king faithfully, the time for them did come when they drew that line in the sand and they said, enough. These men understood that they were strangers in a strange place. These 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 torches up here, okay, we thought about, like I said, we thought about bringing, trying to bring real fire here and somewhere. We just could not figure out how to do it without either burning the place down or making everybody's eyes water, okay? All right, so this, this is what, what we went with, and I, it works. But there's the there for a reason. The lions are here for a reason. That's what we think of when we think of Daniel. The torches are there for a reason to remind us that they were in a dark place, yet they let their light shine in that dark place. And the moment came here where they drew a line in the sand and said, we will not cross this line. But it helped them to understand that they were in a strange place. And they didn't really belong. You know, it's pretty biblical. You know, Jesus talks about that. Jesus talks about being aliens and strangers in this world. Uh, Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. The author of Hebrews talks about it. And on and on and on. And I know what you're thinking. Well, the reason they say that is because they're calling us to holiness. Because that's what holiness means. To live, to be set apart. To live differently. But I'm telling you something. It's we're told we are aliens and strangers for more reasons than being set apart and living differently. It gives us a proper perspective on those in this world we live among right now. You know, it's gotten somewhat difficult to watch the news. I come away from watching the news sometimes with my blood pressure a little higher. I don't know if that's you. It happens with me sometimes. And, and, and I think about things taking place, and, and this has been going on since I started paying attention when I was younger. That's a good answer. It's a good answer, Mella. Yeah. I think some people start watching political stuff when they're three, okay? I, I wasn't quite there. All right, I was a little older than that. But I know this, when I watch it, my blood pressure begins to rise. And there's things that I wish I could change, or things I wish that would not change about the land that we're living in. And I sometimes feel attacked. Sanctity of marriage, that's so important to me. What's going on in Vermont and New York and the abortion crisis there and the legislation drives me crazy. Taxes being used for purposes that I don't agree with drives me crazy. It kind of drives me crazy because the list could go on and on and on and on. Until I remember That this is the way this world is going to be. This is the land that we live in. Guys, this is not God's nation. I don't know if there's a nation in this world that is God's nation. God's kingdom is beyond 
this world. And we are aliens and strangers in this world. And yes, I have citizenship to this nation, but it is always secondary to the citizenship I have in the kingdom of God. And when I come to an understanding of that, I begin to realize and my perspective begins to change that God did not put me in this world to win someone to my political position. Good luck. It's not going to happen. And it's not worthy of my time. What is worthy of my time is winning someone to Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way. I've become all things to all men so that I, by all means, might win some to my Lord. I begin to understand when I'm alien and a stranger in this place, it changes my perspective. I don't begin to look around the world, look at the world around me, looking down my nose or shaking my fist at it. I begin to look upon it with compassion, with the eyes of Jesus Christ, seeing a world that is dark, a world that desperately needs his light. That being said, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, though, the time might come when that line is drawn in the sand, when we must stand up and say, we are to serve God before man. But I don't feel like that time's come in our nation yet. I haven't had one person come into my home and say, you can't worship God here. I'm not saying it won't come. And if it does, we better be drawing a line. And we better be standing strong. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they served King Nebuchadnezzar faithfully. But when the time came, they drew a line in the stand. Now, this is the other thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they abstained. When they were told, you have to do this by the king, they abstained quietly. Do you catch that? I don't know how many times, but it's obvious that at least a number of times they were refusing to bow and worship before this image before King Nebuchadnezzar ever even found out about it. They were doing it quietly, okay? And you're like, well, they were just afraid of being thrown in the furnace. Look at the end of this chapter. Are these cowards? No. They just understood. They weren't shaking their fist at King Nebuchadnezzar. They weren't protesting. They were just... Quietly abstaining. And then when they were called out onto the carpet, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood courageously when pressured to cross the line. When the king said, you're right in front of me now, you cross that line or I'm throwing you in that furnace. And things got crazy, okay? And this is the, this is the insane part about it. In contrast to Nebu here, who's going so nuts he can't even control his facial expressions, all right? He's killing his soldiers, throwing guys into the furnace. He's so mad. I mean, he's like a three-year-old. Somebody took their favorite tractor from him. I mean, this guy is after it. And in the midst of all of that, you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, completely and totally pictures of composure. Oh, king, our God can save us. He has that power. But even if he does not, we're not going to bow before your gods or your image and worship. We're just not going to do it. They weren't yelling. They weren't screaming. 
just stating facts. And then we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego delivered miraculously. You know the words that jump off the page to me, though, are these words right out of verse 17 and 18. He says, If it be so, our God whom we're able to serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you. We're not going to worship. You know, sometimes... God does the miraculous, and he did it then. Sometimes he does not. Folks, there have been countless martyrs since the time of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who have lost their lives when they drew a line in the sand and said, we're not going to cross it. And some of them, God stepped in. There's some that we'll never know about till we get to heaven that God stepped in and saved them. And there's sometimes God did not. We could ask why. What I'd rather ask is this. Where did these guys get this courage and this level of strength? i tell you where they got it. They got it from their God. Once again, Daniel, the author, shows us that God is in control. In chapter 2, God is in control and his wisdom was shown forth and he imparted that wisdom upon Daniel and Daniel shared that wisdom with the king. In Daniel chapter 3, we see God's power rescue those men from that fire so much so they didn't even smell like a, they didn't even smell like a weenie roast. I mean, good grief, guys. You couldn't even smell smoke on these guys. Does somebody come in from the church camp out? Woo! Yeah, you've been around the campfire. Yes, sir. They didn't even smell like smoke. That's power. It's incredible power. These men, as they were strangers in a strange land, as they were light in a dark place, God was in control. And folks, we are still strangers in a strange land and we're still living in a dark place. And God is still worthy of our trust. You know something? Um, listen to a little sports radio occasionally. Yep, and every now and then you can glean a little bit of wisdom from them. Now, I'm not going to listen to them, Doug, probably the first part of the week. You know, because they're, they're not going to have anything wise to say, I'm sure. But every now and again, you get a pearl in the midst of all of the um, slop of sports media. <laughs> and this one actually came from a guy named Colin Cowherd. <laughs> I didn't think I ever heard Colin Cowherd say anything wise in my life. I'm sorry. Sorry if you're a fan. But he said something, and I talked about this in Wednesday night class a couple of weeks ago. And I, I, I immediately, the first opportunity I had, I pulled over off of the highway and I wrote this down. And I can't even remember the context in which he was talking about. But he, he said this. He said, he said, actions, actions matter tremendously. He said, you know what matters more? Reactions. Because, folks, in the world we live in, stuff happens. 
And the world is watching to see how you respond. Because that's when true colors come shining through. These three men, their reaction to tremendous pressure is beyond admirable. And the reason these men remain so composed throughout this whole episode of chaos is not because they were just incredibly controlled men. And see, that's the picture, because the world is going to watch. And, and if your world is falling apart around you, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's, maybe it's relationship trouble, that to be honest with, to be completely honest with, you're pretty innocent in this. Now, we're not all always completely innocent, but for the most part you are, and you didn't ask for this, and your world has been turned upside down. And the world looks and says, how in the world can she remain so calm and composed. How is she able to do that? What they don't understand yet is it's not how you're composed. It's the who behind your composure. And you might just finally get that opportunity to tell someone how you can remain calm in the midst of the storm because your God has your back and he's worthy of your trust. The superstar kids spent a whole 24 hours talking about their story. Folks, this is, this is the parts of Daniel that everybody knows. The fiery furnace. Daniel in the lion's den. Because it's those times when life was crazy. And these men measured up. That makes their story so powerful. What about your story? When your world is crumbling. Yet you trust in God. And there's power in your story. And the world needs to hear it. And they need to hear about your God and your Savior who has your back.